All right. It's a Pokemon. Okay. It's very cute. I see that. So when we don't, if I ever say anything up here and you guys don't understand, you can always ask. And number one, you can ask me. Better yet, you can ask God to explain stuff. And you can go home and ask mom and dad, right? Mom and dad? So, so next week, I'm probably going to say something hard again, but for this week, we're just going to pray that when we don't understand something, we can, we can ask for that um, understanding, right? Especially when it talks about, we're talking about God, right? All right. I see that. Let's pray. Let's pray. You want to pray with me? Okay. Okay. Father God, we do thank you. I thank you for these, this youth, these youths, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that... Um, Lord, when, when we don't, when any of your children, Lord, when we don't understand something that's being preached, being taught, that we would come and ask for you to clarify, clarify that for us, to give us understanding of who you are and what you're saying to us and how we should live our lives. Lord, we just thank you for your spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would always be able to come to you and ask, and uh, Lord, we know you're always there with the answer. So we thank you, Lord. I thank you for these youth. I ask, Lord, that you would continually be with them, help them to learn to understand, and to live their lives to bring glory to you. I pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And all God's children say? Amen. Amen. And Umbreon is very black. All right. I see that. I got up. Uh, before we get started, um, just some clarification on uh, Saturday, helping Joyce out. We're going to meet here at 8.30 on Saturday morning, and we'll send out a reminder on Friday to remind you. And then the plan is to be over at Joyce's starting out at 9. I get all that right? All right, good. <laughs> Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We were discussing the message from last week in small group, talking about the part from Romans 8 where it said, and we know, Romans 8, 28, and someone brought up the point, well, how, how do we know? Right, we, um, knowledge or knowing is going to be a big part of the message today, we use that word know in our English language, and we use it kind of freely. Most of the time, we are speaking of knowing of or knowing about. We, we know things. We, have an, we know facts about things, but there's a deeper knowing that is knowing someone. You can know facts about each other, birthdays and what people look like or where they're from or where they live, different things that they've done in life, and then you can know them personally, what makes them tick and what their insecurities are and the great things about their 
personality and you know what I'm saying, right? There is a deeper knowing, a deeper understanding. Well, today we're going to talk about an even deeper knowledge or knowing than just that. Last week in 828, we looked at this verse and specifically the calling and the importance of being those who love God. What a gift that is, being called to love God. And one of the supporting verses that I shared about the origins of love was 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. And today we're going to dive deeper into that love of God that was the foundation and the source of our love. Here, um, a big part of Paul's point in this passage is that just like God chose Israel to pour out his love and affection upon, he has chosen his new covenant people to pour his love and affection on as well. So those who love God are those whom God has chosen to love and love him chosen for him to love them to love him as well. They're his people. His love is the basis of our love, the basis of him sending his son. And what we will see today and next week is that it is also the basis of his predestination, our sanctification, and one day our glorification. So let me read this in context. We'll start with verse 22 and go through 30. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So all things work together for good for those who love God. But how do we know it works out? Let's run down the argument Paul is making here again. Throughout the trials of life, throughout the difficulties, the pains, the suffering, We long with hope, and not just any hope, 
but hope in the redemption of our bodies. We look forward to that one day of body, bodily glorification. When we'll be like Jesus. No more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more heartache. It's our realized adoption, if you will. But we don't always know in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our heartaches, to hope and to pray for that as we ought. Mostly, we just want the trials to be over, and that's okay. But God has given us the Spirit. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in our prayers according to God's will. And his will is that we will be conformed to the image of his Son. The sanctification that begins here on earth when we come to saving faith until one day when he returns of our glorification. So we know that all things we go through in life then will work out for our good. And we discussed how that good isn't necessarily that those trials will be over, they will end in the way that we want, but that good is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We know that everything that we go through will serve to conform us to that image. So why? Why? Because he, he answers that in verse 29, because we've been called according to that purpose. Glorified bodily redemption, glorification, conformity to Jesus. We know we have been called because God has poured his love upon us. And we have a love for God. We are those who love God. But how do we know that those who are called are going to be those who are glorified? How do we know that once we come to saving faith, we're not going to do something to screw it up and lose it? Verses 8, 28 through 30 again. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul is pointing all this to a resounding, yes, we are sure of it. We know it because what God starts, God finishes. The reason that this promise in 828 is so big is because it is backed by the character of God. He will do it because that's who he is. He's a God who fulfills his promises. And the why, though, why does he fulfill his promises to us in this way is maybe more astounding. It's because he loves us. Undeserving sinners. He loves us and he has placed his covenant love upon us. So God's foreknowledge. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. That's where I want to talk about mostly today. This is a very misunderstood 
mistaught, maybe controversial concept in the Bible. So we need to understand it rightly. We want to look at the context. We want to look at what foreknowledge is. What does it mean? We know that God, the Bible teaches many places that God knows the end from the beginning, right? So we know he knows what's going to happen. But I think it's more involved than that. You may have been taught that God's foreknowledge is him looking into the future to see who would choose him. And then it is those who choose him whom he then predestines or elects in this passage. I think there's some major logical and theological inconsistencies with that line of thinking. First, what does predestined mean? Right? Let's look at the pre part. God is the one who predestines. If he is looking into the future and his actions are determined by your actions, then you are the one making yourself elect. You are the one doing the predestining. My kids, when we'll watch a sports game, now they're always going to root for the Chiefs when we're watching the Chiefs, but if somebody else is playing and we're watching it, and they come in and they say, who, who are you rooting for? And, you know, this is complicated. It's, you never root for the Broncos or, or the Raiders. But usually I don't really care. But th- I know who they're going to root for because they'll look at the score and they're going to root for whoever's winning. And so I'm, I'm choosing that side that's going to win. It's obvious. And they seem to enjoy it much more than I enjoy it. That's what that kind of view of God's foreknowledge is. It's kind of looking in and see who's going to be wise enough to smart enough to pick God. And he's going to go with the winners. Go with the ones who are going to do that. But it also makes us the ultimate determiner of our salvation. When the Bible makes it clear, it is Jesus who saves. God saves. So God gets the glory. If God looks forward and the ultimate determiner is me picking him, then I should get some of that glory. It was me. It was my decision. It was me coming to him. Foreknowledge. We must ask ourselves, And understanding these things, what brings God the most glory? We can all agree, no matter how we look at it, that the ultimate aspect is that God gets the glory. And when we understand his word, the ultimate aspect is which understanding of this is going to bring God the most glory. So his idea of picking us based on who will pick him, I believe, is both illogical and biblically inconsistent. So what then is his foreknowledge? And how does that fit with what Paul is saying here in Romans 8? This this encouraging us to hope, this encouraging us to Remember how good God is in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, that he's not going to leave us and he's not going to forsake us. 
Right? That's what he's talking about here. So how does this foreknowledge fit into that? So we, first we need to know what, God, what Paul understands about knowing. In the Old Testament, when God talks about knowing his people, it isn't merely just facts about them or things that they will do. It's deeper. He knows them personally. And when it talks about knowing, it is in the context of his covenant love. God's knowing is his affection and love being placed on a people that he has chosen for himself. If you turn to Genesis chapter 18, it's easy. It's the first one in there. Keep your hands in Romans. Now we read out of the ESV in here, but everybody's got different versions. And if you have a King James or maybe even a new King James, you're going to be able to see this clearly. The, the word in Hebrew is yada, but in Genesis 18, verse 19, the ESB is talking about Abraham. God says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And if you look at your King James version, it doesn't say chosen. It says, I have known. I know him. I've known. It's a knowing. It's a, it's a understanding at a deeper level that chooses to place God's love and affection on those whom he's in covenant relationship with. The, the Bible uses, especially the Old Testament, right, when it's talking about uh, marital relations between a husband and a wife, it's talking it uses the word knowing, Genesis 4.1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Adam entered into a loving and covenant relationship with Eve, and the knowing is the result of that. God's knowing or choosing of his people also involves a purpose, and we see that with the prophets in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. So this is before he formed him in the womb. He knew him. He didn't just know about Jeremiah, about what Jeremiah would do. He knew him. He had chose Jeremiah for a purpose, to pour out his love in a covenant relationship. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Foreknowing. Choosing. Before he existed. To pour his love out upon him. God doesn't just know facts about it. So how do we know then that, that that kind of knowing is the same 
foreknowledge or knowing that Paul has in mind, turn back to Romans, that Paul has in mind when he's in Romans chapter 8. Because he uses the same word in the beginning of Romans chapter 11, and you can look at that if you want in verses 1 and 2. Paul has just got done in all of Romans 8 and on Romans 9 talking about God's sovereign choice and God's plan and how beautiful it is and how it's a reason to, to worship him. And then the argument's kind of flowing. Well, what about Israel? Well, what happened to them? And in verse 11, or chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. He's not just talking about, he, he can't be talking about looking forward and making a choice because that's not what Israel did. They didn't choose God. He chose them. He picked them. So he's talking about this covenant. He's talking about a covenant relationship before they were born, before the world began, that God placed upon his chosen people and says, I'm going to pour my love out upon them. I'm going to know them. And they're going to know me. And that knowing is going to be love. I'm going to love them. And they're going to love me. And we saw that last week. It's absolutely essential part of our faith. It's not just believing that I'm a sinner. It's not just believing that God's going to punish all sin, sinners. It's not just believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and believing in him and believing the facts that that happened and trusting that now that I'm saved, it also involves the love. And that love that we have for God comes from this covenant relationship. We love because he first loved us. We know him because he first knew us. His foreknowledge, those whom he foreknew. Paul's point in 11, 1 and 2 is that God isn't rejecting Israel because he foreknew them. And that they didn't choose him, but he chose them. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Do you see that? This is a think of Israel. There is a people that for no reason that we can see, God chose, starting with Abraham, to set and pour his love and affection out upon him, a covenant relationship. And now, here we have the New Testament. And it is the same way. 
Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So this is God's foreknowledge. Before we can move on to all that other stuff, we got to understand we're in a deep, loving relationship with our God because of our God. He knows us. He knows you. He just doesn't know things about you that happened throughout your day. He just doesn't know things about you that you're going to do. He knows you. He knows all your fears and all your insecurities and your worries. He knows your talents and your personality. He knows all your sins. He knows all your good works. He knows, he knows the reasons why those things happen and why you do the things you do. Your God knows you. And he knew you. And he chose you to, be, to pour out his love upon you. And it's hard for us because we want to feel like we did something to deserve it. It's hard for us to just sit there and know we're a sinner and say, well, why me? Why would you, why me? We talked about this in Sunday school, right? Paul's saying he's the, the chief of all sinners, the least of all apostles. Why me? Why would you do this to me? And that's hard for us to grapple with, but it's biblical. And God says, because I love you, because I love you. That's wonderful. When we don't do anything to deserve and earn his love, we also can't do anything to unearn it and undeserve it. So what do we do with this glorious information? I'm not a big fan of just knowing doctrine and understanding it rightly. I think we, we, we can go down some dangerous roads in the church. We can come, become very pharisaical when we just know doctrine and we seem to lord it over people. It should never be that we get boastful or be boastful that we were foreknown. We didn't do anything to deserve that. Why is Paul telling us about God's foreknowledge? It's to point us to God's character. It's to point us to God's glory. It's to point us to God's love. God's foreknowledge or choosing isn't taught in the Bible for us to argue about or to accuse God of being unfair because he chooses some and he doesn't choose others. It's taught in the Bible to bring glory to God for choosing any of us. Any of us, we don't know. We go and share the gospel with the whole world, every single person, because we don't know who that is. He knows. We don't know. We share the gospel and we pray. Lord, open up their heart. We give gospel to everyone. We give the gospel to ourselves. But then we give glory to God because he's the one with the plan. He's the one doing the choosing. I will remind you that Ephesians chapter 1 teaches us that God's foreknowledge, his election, his predestination was not put in the Bible to tear us apart as Christians or to accuse God of being unfair. But Paul says it is to to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, right? That we should be conformed to that image of Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. We should know, as believers, I'm a sinner. I did nothing to earn God's favor. I did nothing. But he poured out his grace, his undeserved favor, his rich grace upon me because of his own plan and his own doing. And so that's to bring in me a heart of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness, but also his knowing and choosing of me brings about my knowing of him. And that love that's involved in that covenant knowing from him upon me is a love that I then have towards him and his people. Last week, we wondered why Paul would insert this statement about love. Why say all things work together for good for those who love God when Paul is in the midst of talking about hope and belief and faith? We see why. It's because God loved us first. His love did not start when he sent his son to die for our sins. That was the ultimate expression of his love, but it started before the foundation of the world when he chose us to be his people in Christ. His glorious foreknowing, he knew his people, not just what they would do or who they are, but he knew us by choosing to set his covenant love and affection upon us. Because he did this, because he expressed it and instilled it in the new covenant through the blood of his son, we can love him in return. Therefore, we know, right? We know God. For those in covenant love with God, all things work together for good for those who've been called according to his purpose. We're going to celebrate that covenant love right now through the celebration of the Lord's Supper together. And as the men come forward, we prepare our hearts for communion. I want you to think about that covenant that he made with you before you even existed. God's foreknowing. Jesus says it's a new covenant in his blood. It's not like the old covenant where God's chosen rebelled against him. God's foreknowing this covenant, that old covenant, they didn't know him and they needed to be taught to know him. But it's a new covenant where all God's people know him and they love him because he's loved them first.